Welcome to the Disconnection Podcast. My name is Kyle Nielsen, and I'll be your host for today's show. Today, we have Jennifer Cherney joining us. Uh, Jennifer, please, how are you doing today? Well, thank you for having me, Kyle. I'm yeah. doing very well. Thank you for joining me, finally. It took I a while know, to get us together, but I'm happy that we are. Yeah, me too. Um, so let's start off with, uh, we met back in October of 2016. Yep. Okay. Um, we I want to m- challenge you. I think okay. it was November. Okay. I do. I think it was November 5th. I don't know why, but. All right. I think you could be right, but <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out later. Okay. All right. um, I'll let so it slide. we met in late 2016. Correct. And we met at a, uh, a DAPL protest. Correct. So for those who don't know, uh, DAPL is the Dakota Access Pipeline, and it was on the Standing Rock Reservation where a large protest in the north part of South Dakota was happening. So let's start off with. You organized that protest. I did. It was, an, it was a, a protest and a demonstration for solidarity for the Native Americans. Where did your interest in Native Americans stem from? So my interest really stemmed when I was in high school. I read Black Elk Speaks, and it really resonated with me, and I started reading a lot about Native Americans and kind of became obsessed a little bit with their culture. And then when I was getting my master's, I wrote my thesis on Native American literature and the role of the trickster. Okay. And so from that point on, really, I became invested in really the absolute disservice I feel like this country does to Native Americans. And when the whole Dapple thing came up, I had been invited to go to a protest, wasn't able to go. And I didn't see any other ones happening in the city. So I was like, you know what? Let me just try to organize one in Washington Square Park, right? Yeah. And maybe like 10 people will show up. No. So I put something on Facebook and it it just took off. And so I went with my dad. My dad and I showed up and there was probably, when we first arrived, maybe 50 people. And then it kept growing and growing and growing. We didn't have a permit. (laughs) Wow. Are you supposed to get them? Yes. Do you know how yes, to get them? Yes, a cop came over and was like, who organized this? You need to get a permit from the city. No and way. I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, not me. Just just trying to, you know, show that we stand for this cause. And Absolutely right. I didn't right. know you had to get a permit. But you, I figure, I guess you, you do. You do. Well, I think it's a, with a certain amount of people you need one, maybe. Okay, that makes sense. I didn't expect sense. the turnout. But it was incredible. It was how really, many people do you really think, incredible. How many people do you think showed up? I don't know because the park itself, I mean, I feel like there were a lot of people like just observing and I don't know how many people were actually fully invested in or just curious. It was a nice day too. It was a beautiful day. Yeah. I don't know, over 100 for sure, I think. Awesome. Yeah. That's really Definitely. amazing. Definitely. That were, I think over 100 showed up to hear right. about what was going on and I think... I don't know, onlookers, way more than that. Right. Way more. So you organized this protest and your interest stemmed from you having a master's or or you wrote your dissertation, right? Am I saying that right? Uh, No, master's thesis. A master's thesis, excuse me. So you wrote your master's thesis. How much history do you actually know about the Native Americans? A lot. I mean, I'm not adept at talking about one particular tribe. Mm -hmm. There's over 500 tribes, so mm-hmm. but a lot about the spirituality and their I, religion I think I as can, well. Yeah, I and think I can talk to. I wouldn't call it a religion. Okay. I wouldn't. No, I think it's more of a well, maybe a religion of the of nature, right? So to speak. Yeah, I don't know. Well, they believe the earth Something, is the mother and the sun is the father, right? Right, right. And okay. I think like the whole 
to me, the ghost dance thing really resonates with me too. What like is calling the ghost upon dance? your so in Native American culture, a mm-hmm. ghost dance is when you call upon your ancestors, and they do this with this dance, and there's seven points in a circle. It's the northeast, southwest, up, down, and inner. Okay. And in Native American culture, like a ghost is not a good thing. It's not at all a good thing. But with this ghost dance, it was a way for them to call upon their ancestors to help them with whatever was going on at the moment. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, is there any other uh, dances or rituals that resonated with you? Not really. I mean, there are so many. Yeah. Yeah, I've gone to like so many powwows. And, and do they differ from just, tribe to tribe as well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, are they like sects of um, Christianity, like Mormonism or Protestant or Catholic? They differ would, like that? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And I think that there's subtle nuances between them, just as like with Christianity, there's subtle nuances between Catholicism or, pro- you know what I mean? So, okay. yeah. All right, but we digress. Yes. Right. Sorry, sorry. So <laughs> back to the protest. So me, yeah. and, me and my friends were at the time, we were planning on going out to yes. uh, Standing Rock. I was so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I was so jealous. I wanted to we go were, so we were bad. Walking into. Uh, you know, walking in blind almost. I mean, we got a little bit of information from some people that were at the protest, luckily. Yeah. And they said, hey, bring this, you you know, Mm -hmm. uh, bring food, bring supplies. Uh, When we actually went, it was overwhelming the amount of um, uh, emotions that you felt uh, coming into the camp. There was uh, security patrols uh, on the borders that were letting people in. And they were saying, you know, what are you here for? Why, Why are you here? And it had happened recently that... Uh, when we did go in mid-November, that there had been, I guess we could call them contractors, who had infiltrated the site and were instigating and mm-hmm. being aggressors on right. the protester side. Right, right. Um, so they were very uh, cautious of who they were letting in and who they would let up to the protest line. Yep. So while we were there, we didn't actually go up to the protest line. We weren't there long enough for them to say, okay, we trust you. Uh, so we stayed in camp. We helped uh, with food supplies, organizing, cleaning, building, gathering firewood. Uh, they were preparing That's amazing, for winter. by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that you, you did that. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, it wasn't even that much, though. You know, we were only there three days, and but you can only still, do so much for, for a camp that is setting up for a, a winter. But still, you know? you, I mean, it, it's not an easy place to get to. It, it is... definitely wasn't, and I had a really <laughs> bad car. <laughs> so, it, so it broke down on the way back. No way. It was the worst. Oh, yeah. my God. It was a situation that was, at the time, dangerous. I mean, you didn't know what you were walking into. You're not a Native American. No. That, too. There's so much involved in that. And the fact that you guys were like, you know what? We're going. Yeah. We're going to help, even if we just get to the border and we can do anything to help. We we didn't know. Yeah, yeah. And while we were were driving out, they were saying, oh, the roads are now blocked off and they're not letting anyone in. And we're like, shit, did we just drive 20 hours to not get let in? Luckily, we did get in. There was a roadblock there, which drove around it. But But I think it's so cool that you did. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's so blatant how horrific that whole situation was. And you were just like, you know what? We're going. We're going to do something. I'm not just going to watch this on TV. You'd be actually be surprised at how many people were like, what's going on? Right. I don't even know. I mean, there's a pipeline right now that's being like in Louisiana. It's nonstop. It's happening all the time. Let's talk about the pipeline. Okay. okay. So okay. DAPL itself, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Yes. So when we went out there, it was currently on hold because 
the election had just happened. Trump, right. Uh, be- right before we went out, was elected president. And at the time before that, leading up to that, the Obama administration had said, hey, let's hold off. Right. We're, we're not going to do anything, which honestly was just laying it off onto whoever the next president was, was saying, yeah. like, we're not going to make a decision right now and let it fall onto whoever else. Smart move. I um, think that you and I talked about this. Yes. Did we? Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember so. that kind of on video. Yeah, yeah, because everyone was like, oh, Obama, you know, he, no, he's not really no, making a decision. He's actually just pushed it off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Pissed me off, but yeah. okay. <laughs> so, Dapple itself, okay? Mm-hmm. So, uh, some of the information that I was able to find, uh, as well as just current events and the timeline of what went on. Right. So, the Dapple project ran through four different states, it ran through North Dakota, South Dakota, Iowa and Illinois. And it connected to another uh, pipeline that was called Keystone. Keystone? Was it the Keystone? Yeah. Okay. Um, And and that that was from Canada to Texas. No, no. That was a a different one. That was um, Keystone Pipeline. It's a different pipeline. Oh, then the one that it was connected to? Yes, you're right. right. Yeah, what was it? It was uh, the Energy Transfer Partners. That's okay. Dapple. Yeah. Right. That was Dapple. The Army Corps of and Engineers was there. Transatlantic Canada was mm. the Keystone XL. But you are right. There was another. I, I'm not sure if it was a Keystone, but they mm, were plugging into an existing pipeline. And they oh. could have done it in such a way that it, it wouldn't have gone through as straight through as they had planned it like right there was an existing pipeline correct that right. was not as deep and uh dapple was supposed to go deeper into the ground right in order to ensure the safety of the crude oil that was being pumped through correct yep right um so the jobs that were created right that's a big sh- uh point okay to go from the job creation of the building of the pipeline it was about Let's see, twelve thousand to forty-two thousand jobs, and right. the people who depending provide, on who you talk to, depending on who you talk to. So if you right. if you talk to Dakota Access LLC, you get the mm-hmm. twelve thousand. If you talk to TransCanada, which was a uh, a holder right. of Dapple, they said forty-two thousand. Right. So of all of those jobs, fifty would have 50 been are temporary. And no, fifty of them would have or, been full time. Right. Everything else is temporary. Right. So I got the numbers for Iowa. Yeah, there what were, was it? In one of the four states, there uh-huh. was 12 to 15 permanent jobs, okay? Uh-huh. And in the state of Iowa, two to 4,000 temporary jobs. So we're talking about a mass amount of jobs that are created very, very quickly and then completely and then disappear. Away. So what happens to those people after the job is they, completed? They have to go find another pipeline to work on, right? But they need water to survive. Are they, they living do. in that area? That's a good <laughs> question. I don't know. You know? I don't know. So are you, in effect... So- potentially poisoning the people that actually lay the pipe. I don't know. I'm just, it's, it's crazy. Part of the argument for, for this pipeline creation was that the pipeline wasn't actually going on any part of the Sioux reservation. It was right above it. But but part of the treaties that mm -hmm. are signed for native Americans, uh, one of them was winters versus uh, Washington was, am I right to say that? Um, sure. Land rights, no, Winters versus U.S. in 1908. Okay. So uh, we were talking about it before uh, we started recording that a lot of the things that America has done for the Native Americans has really been not in their interest at all. It's, you know, we're going to give no, you this and then we're going to take it away. We're perpetuation give you this. of a genocide. Right. Constantly. Part, Constantly. Part it's... of the Winters versus U.S. Uh, treaty was that if there is anything ambiguous in a treaty, 
as to what land you own, what water you own, the Winters versus United States Treaty says that the water is included. So that treaty says that that water from the Missouri River from the Missouri River that runs down into their reservation is a part of their land. And you know, it's just one one of the many trees that they just brushed aside, right? Mm-hmm. It's part of the argument that's for the pipeline, uh, as well as against it when you talk about the treaty itself. So uh, another part of the pipeline is, well, how much is actually spilling? So do you know, or, or are you aware of the spillage that has happened so far? Because there so has it, been. There has been. Absolutely. But they're saying that it is so minute and so contained as to be inconsequential. So part. And when I say they. Who is that? So they is <laughs> energy <laughs> transfer partners. <laughs> So, you know, I just read this article in Forbes and, you know, there's a little disclaimer, you know, the author of the article says that, oh, I have to disclose at one time I was working for I know, one know of that. these oil companies. And I'm like, you know, okay, well, he needs to legally disclose that. Yeah. But the entire article was basically saying, oh, there's nothing environmentally wrong about this. This is the most effective way. You know, the, the train transportation is so much more dangerous. and It is. It is. It is fair enough, but I think right. it speaks to our dependence on fossil fuels, right? Yes, absolutely. At the end of the day, that's what it's about, you're, really. You're completely correct. Environmentally. On the other side, it is, again, I think the perpetuation of this genocide of the Native American people. It's like right. you're, now we're going to poison their water. I mean, what what more can we, as this, I shouldn't say we, what more can people do to disenfranchise a people? You're right. And there's not the outrage that there should be. Because it's not happening in their backyards, right? It's not. That's when the outrage happens. Yeah. It's, it's when you have that oil spill in your little hometown and you go, oh, shit, like, yeah, I can't go outside anymore. I can't play in the grass. I get sick when I'm outside for 20 minutes because I'm breathing in all these toxic fumes. And this fumes. happens. It does. Hello, Flint. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's right. This happens. It does. And, so, and you know, even with Flint, there's not many people that are still outraged. No. They don't have clean water still. But there's not that many people anymore that talk about Dabble, right? This is true. So I wanted to talk about the spills. So yeah, Dapple yeah. has had yeah. five spills in 2017. Okay? Five, okay. Five spills. No, don't freak out. They weren't that big, right? Okay. No, Air but course. they actually weren't. They really okay. weren't. So we have five spills. The first one was 84 gallons. Okay. Uh, it sounds like a decent amount. I also wouldn't want 84 gallons to be poured into anything. No. Right? Okay. But so, that's in cons- I mean, that's a very small number when you think, I believe the number is like 500,000 gallons are pumped every day. It's 600. Yeah. 600 okay. gallons. Uh, 600,000 gallon, <laughs> gallons <laughs> pumped every day. <laughs> so of the five spills, we had 84, 20, 84, uh, 21. And the biggest one on Dapple was 168 gallons. So those are very, very small amounts. Very small, but still. But still. Uh, the biggest was the 168, and that was at the end point of Dapple, and that was in Patoka, Illinois. Jesus. Okay. Patoka, Illinois. So, um, and, your, and your listeners know that you're, you've got notes here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I'm, <laughs> I am definitely it's looking like at notes. Encyclopedic knowledge. No, no way <laughs> do I know this off the top of my head. It's Absolutely. No, but you're speaking to it without looking, Thank kind you. of. Thanks. I appreciate that <laughs> uh, to an extent, right? <laughs> I got my freaking hand down right. on the paper. <laughs> Using your so, hands to read. Um, 
That's, that's <laughs> not really that much. However, there is a technology on Dapple that allows it to see. Now, all of those spills were on concrete sites. Mm-hmm. So that means that they happened at uh, points where maybe the pipeline was turning or, you know, I'm not really sure on the exact construction methods of it. Right. But, but there are people able to see th- at who the saw time, it. Correct. Who saw it. But there are parts of that pipe that people do Don't not see. see. And part of the safety be, you know. is that they have a leak technology. However, the leak technology can only secure and and be um and alert someone mm-hmm. if it's over two percent of the daily so we were talking about how much they ship right yeah six hundred thousand gallons a day two percent is twelve thousand so twelve thousand at a point where it's where someone's not noticing could be spilled before anyone notices that okay. sounds horrific i would prefer not to have that now I at the same that. time right uh, yes i yeah. think that everyone would concur now at the same time nobody talks about like tankers Tankers rolling over and spilling. We, we said that trains, trains are a horrible way of transporting. But what about just 18-wheeler, 24-wheeler tankers that are rolling around? Do you know the most recent one that, was, uh, that spilled? No. It happened in no New way. Jersey in May. No way. Yeah. See? 8,500 gallons of gasoline was spilled. But you don't hear about it, right? No, I did not there's hear not a about protest. that. But I'm not saying that I'm okay with it. But why isn't there someone out there going... What are the safety precautions on making sure that these drivers are sleeping enough, are not running into ditches and spilling this uh, this fluid? Where because those people are expendable. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you're transporting the oil. The oil is giving somebody somewhere right. a lot of money. Right. And that's all that matters. That is all that matters. It is. and it's, pa- a, it's a hard battle. Part of fight. that goes into we're dependent on, on fossil fuels, right? Right. So why wasn't this three point whatever billion dollars for this pipeline spent on renewable energy? Why? Well, look at the people that are in charge. <laughs> this is a dangerous conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you could only, you know, if you dig a little deep into this, it's far-reaching. The oil companies have a huge grip on the economy and the government. Wouldn't it make sense? Like, this is something that I always think about. Wouldn't it make sense? Let's say that, glo- let's, let's hypothetically say global warming is not occurring, right? We are not global warming experts. I'm not a scientist. I don't think you are. No, I'm not. Okay. Let's say that it's not occurring and we're all crazy. We're just crazy monkeys that don't know what's happening and, the, and we're just freaking out. Okay. There is a new technology that enables us to not be dependent on be dependent oil. on oil. on mm-hmm. drilling into a ground, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe we have to drill for some of the metals. Uh, yes. It's a little bit different, but we would have to drill for those metals anyway to make containers that carry the oil, right? Right. Exactly. So let's just get the metals a- anyway, right? We have this new technology that's allowing us to uh, supply ourselves and be independent of conglomerates, yeah. right? And well, people are doing this. Yeah. <laughs> and but, making money doing it. But why aren't the conglomerates going, hey, let's just flip this? Everyone seems to be doing it. Like, it's like a trend, right? Mm-hmm. Why not just go with the trend? If there's a fashion trend, people change. You know, styles change. Right. So why aren't they changing? Why are we being forced back? Because I think that there is a power that is greater than the money that's going to be, or at least they think mm-hmm. that renewable energy, it's not profitable enough. And it won't hold. It won't hold. I mean, I would disagree with them. I think a lot of people would disagree with them, you know, and I think maybe if, and I'm sure that most that are knowledgeable about what 
energy is and how it's used would say the same thing. Those are the same people, though, that will be profiting off of the production of crude oil. That's yeah. it. It really... <laughs> I'm so sorry to tell you this. No, but it's it okay. It's all about money. It is. I'm I'm with you on that. And power. And power. You're right. Which honestly mean nothing at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole other talk, but I mean, it is and at the same time, it's something that's not talked about, right? It's so not, so climate it's uncomfortable. It is. A lot of things uh like religion or p- politics in general or um key points in politics like uh, abortion or mm-hmm. climate change. They're very sensitive topics that people are like, I don't want to talk about that. But unless you talk about them, unless you exchange ideas, you're never going to be able to, to learn anything. Yeah. So I think you and I are like-minded, but if we weren't, I would still talk to you. Oh, thanks. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's important to talk to people that have differing views right. or differing opinions. That's part of the reason why I did the rally, too. There were a right. lot of people there that I talked to that had no flipping clue what DAPL was at all. They're like, what the hell is this? Like, what do you, you know, it's a beautiful day in the park and you guys are ruining it with your signs. <laughs> I was like, hold on a second. Yeah, <laughs> do you I, know what's going on here? Yeah, I hope they weren't thinking that. There were people that were like that for sure, but I would say that was 10% of the people and mm-hmm. 90% of the people there. I don't know if you felt it or not, but I thought there was such an incredible positive energy there. Really. I I thought it was a great day. How do you motivate someone to stand up for an idea? How do you how do you cultivate that uh let's call it a fire, right? Mm-hmm. For them to want to go and do something. I th- well, number one, I can't do that for you. You have to have an innate passion for something. Otherwise, you're not going to put your heart and soul into it. And if you're not going to put your heart and soul into it, then, then why bother? I think um, for someone like me, information to people sometimes can ignite a spark. And they might, you know, then really start a fire with it if they're interested. That's all I can do is kind of give them the pathway to something by talking about it. But right. You do need to be passionate about something. We talked about, I did this A Year of Wishes blog. And each month I was devoting to a different nonprofit. And there were definitely months that I did things that I was like, eh, you know, like this is a very worthy cause, but it's not my thing. Can you explain what A Year of Wishes is? Sure. It was a blog that I started and each month I devoted myself to a different nonprofit. Um, so one month it was Native Americans, another month it was ocean conservation, another month it was African Americans. Um, I did one with, um, there was, I was living in Florida at the time. Okay. <laughs> and there was a youth. Hey, Florida. We both hate Florida. <laughs> Sorry. Floridians. No offense to Floridians. It's funny you know. there. <laughs> Um, it just reminded me the ocean conservation thing when I was there, I was, it, it was a good place to be and that here I am in Palm beach, right? Island, which is one of the wealthiest zip codes in the, in the country. And I'm walking on the beach and I'm like, this is disg- I mean, there was so much trash every day for weeks. I would go for an hour and just pick garbage up. Wow. How it mu- was horrifying. You'd fill bags at that point. Oh, bags. Hour, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, I mean, the things that were coming out of the ocean. And, I mean, you know, Florida, the ocean is kind of nice. It is, yeah. You know, 
It's really <laughs> nice compared to here in New York, <laughs> New Jersey. So you can imagine my disgust. I was like, wow. You know, you would see these enormous mansions. I mean, these people are billionaires. And right on the beach outside of their homes is, you know, like plastic bottles and shoes and shampoo. It was just disgusting. Anyway. That's actually even surprising that I they guess. would have that. Yeah. Why well, wouldn't they it was hire the, someone? Sorry, it was the off season. Oh. So these people are there probably the most a couple of weeks of the year. Have a cleaning crew come in and clean up their beach I before wish they, they show I up. I wish they had. I wish they had. It was just me. Wow. Yep. So, yeah, you, so you're motivated intrinsically to want to go and clean up that and to create a, a protest and a demonstration. And if you're just providing information to someone who may have you know, some desire to do something in general, in a general sense, what do you, you blast information around, you know, or is it just a continual conversation that you're constantly talking, constantly talking to people constantly? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think I, I hope that I've gotten people to become invested in different nonprofits through just talking to them about different things. There's a lot of things that people have no idea about, I was really passionate about the Dolphin Project. The I don't Dolphin know if you know. I don't know what the Dolphin Project is, no. Okay, so there's this guy named Rick O'Berry who okay. is such a cool dude, but he... Sounds cool. Sounds like a surfer. Um, I, he definitely is. Nice, he definitely nice. is, I'm sure. He's probably in his 70s now. Okay. But he was a trainer at SeaWorld, and I can't remember now what dolphin he was training, but he saw the impact of keeping the dolphins, like, locked up and encased in these, like, small little aquariums for the pleasure of Us. the SeaWorld people. Yeah. yeah. And I think it was Flipper. And the dolphin died in his arms. Whoa. And from that moment on, he was, like, such a huge advocate. And it still is today for dolphin conservation. And so he'll go all over the world to help like the capture slaughter of dolphins. He's been in Taiji, Japan. He was arrested, I think it was two years ago. So what they do there is they will slaughter the dolphin for meat and then they'll take the ones that are good looking or like young and bring them to aquariums. Wow. Yep. Interesting. Like really interesting stuff. Do, like, do you think, or do you know? I think. Do you know if dolphins are sold like worldwide? Oh yeah, yeah, yep. Would they take some? Uh, They're a commodity for sure, especially in Japan. I mean, they like take a, a Japanese. I'm calling it a Japanese. A yeah. dolphin from the sea uh, around Japan, from the mm -hmm. oceans around there, and like ship it somewhere to Europe, for example. I don't know if they likely. Yeah, they will. They'll ship them to different aquariums. So the reason I ask that, I was recently on a trip in Valencia, and uh -huh. we went to their SeaWorld. It's uh, very, very large. And the, one of the first things that we went into was their dolphin show. And I'm thinking, walking up, oh, sweet, dolphins. The moment I sat down and saw the dolphins, I was like, oh, my God, I want to release these creatures. They are beautiful, and they're they do intelligent. They not belong in cages. They do not belong in that tiny pool. They're intelligent. They're... I believe octopuses are the most intelligent. Octopuses are, that, and you and said then, that right. They are octopuses. Yeah, they're not octopi. octopi. It's, nope. a, it's a Greek and Latin der derivative. Oh, That's like right. That. And but then dolphins. I mean, they're extremely intelligent, and they and they have feelings. And so when they go through the slaughter process in Taiji, they also go through it in the Faroe Islands. 
It's a rite of, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, called the Grind I in the not. Faroe Islands. So the no. Faroese will go out. It's a rite of passage. The Grind in the Faroe. The Grind. Okay. Yeah, they'll go out. Like I think that they're, they start at like 17 years old. And these young men will go out and they will slaughter these pilot whales for the meat. I mean, they mm-hmm. do consume the meat, but it's a rite of passage. It's part of their culture, but it's incredibly inhumane. Like it's something that should not be happening, but happens to this day. And it's like just a sea. I mean, I've seen so many videos about it. It's horrific. It's just a sea of red. Wow. And you hear the whales screaming because they're being slaughtered. And it's not as if they're killed immediately. It's not as if, you know, when they kill like, a, uh, I don't know, cows or pigs or whatever they. And not always. Not always is right. Yeah. I'm a vegetarian slash okay. close to being vegan <laughs> okay but yeah no they try to at least do it in a humane way with this they don't they don't they suffer for sure and their family members see hear this it and, see and it. hear it yeah and like that uh that uh, i think it was elephant they played a recording of an elephant you heard about that yeah it was uh, a, a baby elephant or just a mother or something it's a baby elephant. baby elephant that had died and it was crying and they recorded it and this is the only time that they've ever done it and they played it back uh like years later or months later or something for the family and the family for like two weeks was like searching thinking that the baby was still alive somewhere yeah. and no one has replicated the study because they were trying to figure out whether they would remember or whether they would search, and they did. And it was, it's, that's not something that should be. No, and right. there are sounds that dolphins make to communicate with one another that are very sophisticated. And when those types of traumatic events are happening, they are communicating with one another and telling, like, I'm in distress. I'm, you know, so if a mother is being slaughtered, her babies know. Yeah. Our brains can't understand those sound frequencies at no, all. No, they can't. I, I read yeah. a, I read a book uh, called Of Orcas and Men recently. Oh, okay. And part of the uh, description so of, of how they speak to each other, right? Mm-hmm. Their brains are massive, but they're different. Uh, they're shaped differently than ours, right? So when you're sitting in a car and you turn on the radio and you move, well, we don't see it as a dial anymore, but when you move the dial and you move it through the different frequencies of yeah. FM radio or AM radio, you're connecting to that vibration of radio waves, right? Right. And once you hit a certain dial, a certain frequency, you receive music, talk radio, right. all of these different sounds, okay? Right. Now imagine dolphins speaking to each other with pitches, and when it hits their brain, they get all the information, like a song, like a talk, right. and we just don't know what they're saying. Yep. I did talk to these guys. I forget where they were. I think they were, I don't Maybe they were in the Pacific Ocean, but they were developing um, sound frequency to be able to let the pilot whales and the dolphins know if a ship was coming in with the sound frequency that they were, I don't know how they were developing, but it was really cool and really like way out of my league. I was like, (laughs) I did like a Skype (laughs) session with them for that month and I was just like, yeah, they were totally cool. They were like on the boat. I was like, know anything about this. <laughs> but keep talking to me yeah, i love this it is I amazing love it. yeah i think that's another reason why i did it. it's just a thirst for knowledge i become really interested more. in things yeah and that's the only way you can find out what you really have a passion for and what you enjoy doing absolutely you're right yeah um 
So I remember some things from our initial meetup, and I Wait, wanted. Do you still have that video? I absolutely oh. do. Okay. <laughs> it was a short five-minute video, six-minute video. No, yeah. I'm not okay, burning okay. it. It's uh. in my computer. <laughs> I'm burning the computer. Oh, okay. uh, so, please tell me what is active activism? I think active activism is well. That stemmed from me saying that. Um, in opposition to the people that I think are armchair activists okay, and that they sit behind their computer and they'll spew out a bunch of, oh yeah, I agree with that or I'll sign this petition and I've done my part. Nah, you haven't done your part. There's so much more to do. I think um, active activism too is not just donating money. A lot of people feel like, oh, well, I'm just going to write a check. It's really getting in the trenches and, and helping so yeah, that's active activism. And what about advocating for advocacy? So advocating for advocacy, <laughs> these are all kind of like, yeah. <laughs> now in retrospect, why did I say that? I like the active activism. Advocating for advocacy, I would say, again, it really is talking to people about becoming involved in different causes. I mean, I think there's a lot of people, at least that I talk to, that have no desire to volunteer, no desire to go to a protest, no desire to go to anything. They're happy and content to do what they want day to day. And they don't realize that in their own myopic view that there's all this other world out there and that they could actually help. So I, I hope that I'm advocating for advocacy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, By just talking about my own philanthropic work. And I'm not saying, I mean, my job is fundraising. Mm -hmm. Money's really important, crucially important, but there's a lot behind that check, too. Right. There's a, a lot of um That will feed purpose. your soul, too. Yeah, yeah, purpose behind yeah. it. Yeah, absolutely. Because when you're that person in the cubicle working very hard, nine to five, punching in numbers or doing whatever you're doing, yep. it's not fulfilling at all. No, not, not at all. No, you have to have a passion, again, yeah. or something. Otherwise, it really, why? I think part of that also comes from traveling, right? Oh, I love travel. Being able to yes. see, and you know, we don't have to say travel and like travel for uh, expensive places in Europe. It could be a really inexpensive no, no. place in South America or in Asia, or even going to Africa, just to see a different culture and then to come back to your own and be like, we are in a bubble. Oh, and yeah. this bubble is going to pop one way or another. So oh, it's better if you just walk outside of it and pop it yourself. Definitely. Oh, yeah. I think I told you that I was supposed to go to Nicaragua. Did I tell yes, you this? Yes, I think you did. And then yes. the trip was canceled, which is so disappointing because of all the political unrest that's going on right. there and now. And it's on hold. It's on. Or, I think what it's, did it say? I thi on hold. On, I yeah. think it's canceled. Yeah. Oh, I'm pretty sure. It was July 27th. Which is a total bummer. But I think that back to just like exploring different areas. I mean, even in Florida, when I was volunteering for that youth ministry, mm -hmm. there was a housing project that I would go to and you know, like color with the kids, that kind of thing, read to them. But I honestly, no joke, have never seen that kind of abject poverty before. And I've lived in New York City, you know, my entire adult life. Right. It, it was shocking and disturbing. And one of the kids that broke my heart was like maybe eight years old. She was like, at night we hear the pop, 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 and it was gunshots. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, 
no, they really did. Wow. Yep. And it's crazy because, I mean, I, I don't think you recognize it as much in New York City because you have these, like, incredible high-rise buildings that have wealthy people living in them, and then they're next to a housing project. Right. In Florida, it was just so much more, I don't know how to describe it. It's like you go over that bridge from Palm Beach to West Palm, and then you go into this place where that housing project was in Riviera Beach, which is extremely dangerous area. And it really was like in your face, like, wow. I mean, wow. How far is uh, Palm Beach from Daytona off the top of your head? Do you think you know? I don't know. It's not that close. Yeah. Because oh, in Daytona. Because Daytona is further it's, north, right? It's in the middle, yeah. Yeah. Just uh, east of Orlando. Okay. So probably like two hour drive. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Where I was living too, uh, I wouldn't call it the projects, or maybe a ghetto of sorts, um, just lower income area mm-hmm. uh, where I was living, and there were opportunities for me to volunteer through the school, and going to read for um, like a, the elementary school in the local area. I didn't, I didn't, I almost didn't feel welcomed. Not oh, at yeah. the elementary school itself, but driving to get there. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think there's definitely a racial divide, too, in the South. That yeah, there's strong. Is, like, yeah. There was definitely a lot of hesitation. I'm a white woman. You know, I'm driving up to this housing project. Like, there was a lot of people there that were like, we don't want Yeah. What are you, what are you do doing here? You. Yeah. yeah. Well, Get they're out. suspicious, and rightly so. I mean, when I was in Florida there, I forget the name of the town, Bell, Belgrade. Okay. Extremely dangerous area of Florida. And there was a kid, he was driving his car, I think he was like smoking a joint, threw it out the window, cop pulls him over, he's with his girlfriend. He goes to get out of the car and the cop shoots him. No way. Dead. And it happens all the time there. All the time. All the time. So I think they're they're rightly suspect yeah. sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I think their motivation is comes into question. Yeah. Being defensive and protective can be a good thing at times, you know. Going back to the Native Americans, for sure, when I was invest like doing research for my thesis, when mm. I I went to go talk to this Native American poet, Joy Harjo, and she's she's pretty well known. She's amazing. She was really kind of like, "Why are you writing about Native American literature? You don't I mean, she didn't say that, but she was somewhat hostile. Right. Kind of like, eh, why are, you know, it's upsetting, but you understand. Absolutely. Uh, you know, time and time. And you have to respect it. You too. have to. And you can't yeah. be defensive, too. No. Like, I really wanted to be like, especially to some of the moms in that housing project, I wanted right. to be like, you know what? I could be at the beach right now. I'm trying to help your kid learn how to spell, how to, you know, do this math project so you can go to school. You can't. You can't, you can't do that, though, because then it's your ego getting exactly. in the way of it's you all, trying it's to. It's so true. It's just your ego. So yeah. you have to just it's okay Silence right it. i'm yep. here to help so let me help and, and try to sympathize yeah because i certainly could not empathize with those people at all i i can't i have no idea what it would be like to live yeah. like that certainly feel bad but to know i've never right. felt like that before yeah. no i couldn't i mean you could but hopefully you I could. don't and you don't right now I don't right now, and I don't know if I ever could because I, I didn't grow up like that. Right. 
I think those people live in that housing project and their generations and they can't get out. It's just a cycle. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of these guys, like in that Belgrade area, I think James Patterson did a documentary on it because they have a good football team and mm-hmm. that's the only way they get out. It was a shitty documentary too. I was like, God, <laughs> with all his money, but I think that he he saw that there was a need to call attention to that area and how it really was just it's 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 horrible there. It's mm-hmm. kinda like a Compton, California type okay. of place. But it was a terrible documentary. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, yeah. Love a good documentary. <laughs> thought I was going to be in one. Oh, man. <laughs> so, yes, that documentary will not be happening, yes, unfortunately. so I've heard. Yeah. Don't mean to disappoint. Uh, like this is the doc- floor. Yeah, this is the <laughs> short documentary that I, uh, my friends and I were going out to uh, Standing Rock to film. And we did film, um, but building the actual documentary itself takes more work than we anticipated. Yes. Uh, and uh, I cannot do it alone. Yes, I understand um, that. But... Time and money. Time and money. Uh, so your first protest, where was it and what was it? My first, re- the first one that I ever organized? Forget about organized. Went to, right? Such a good question. I don't know. I always felt like I was like falling into them in the city. Okay. Did you grow up My in the first, city? No, Here? I grew up on Long Island. Okay. And then I moved to the city when I was 21. Mm-hmm. 20, yeah, right after my master's. Okay. Like living full time. First, that's such a good question. I don't know. I always felt like I was part of whatever disenfranchised. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what the first was. That's a good question. What would you sure. say is your most memorable one? This one. This the one? The Dapple one, yeah. Because I really did not expect the turnout. I didn't expect the turnout and I didn't expect the energy around it. I mean, I still talk to people that I met that day. Really? I mean, (laughs) me being one of them. Yes. Yeah. I met a guy there. I got him a job. Like that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it was really nice. I think that one was really nice for me in that it wasn't. It was thought out but not well thought out it was more spontaneous and I want to do something and let me just try to do something and then this incredible group of people got together and I thought it was like just amazing but there were all these people that I had no idea felt the same way that you do yeah and you don't know unless you speak to them right so let's talk about anxiety then okay Yeah, okay. yeah. So part of part of being anxious in general is not knowing that other people feel the same way that you do. Right. Uh, I am prone to anxiety, although I might not come off as it because I like to be extroverted and make people feel good. And in the meantime of making other people feel good, I'm like, holy shit, like, please don't like <laughs> laugh at me or like, and when they do, I'm like, ha ha, like I'll laugh yeah. along, but it's, yeah, you're like, oh, I'm a little embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So how does anxiety play into organizing a protest and having a a yeah a showing yeah yeah um so when I was 25 I had my first panic attack okay and I'm 44 now and for I'd say a good three years I felt completely incapacitated by it I felt like it was hard for me to be in social situations and this is coming from somebody that beforehand was like out every night hanging out with my friends 
I still did that, but I felt like I needed the crutch of alcohol or whatever it may be to actually go and feel normal. And three years went by and I was like, you know what? I need to make a change because this anxiety, it's not going away. I thought eventually like, oh, you know, I'm 25. Maybe it's just a time my mom had anxiety. My sister has anxiety or like panic attacks. I guess I need to live with this and let it come through me mm-hmm. and not focus so much on it. And if I don't have anything else to focus on, I'm going to focus in on the anxiety. Right. Because I can become obsessive about things. And I was obsessed about the anxiety. I was reading everything about it, everything about panic attacks. I'd be having a like a conversation with you right now. In the back of my mind, I'd be like... Oh my God, I hope that I don't freak out. But if I need to leave, what excuse could I make? I could say to him, Oh, you know, my apartment's on fire. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like that kind of, that is the way an anxious mind thinks. A lot of people that I've met and talked to that have anxiety have, um, they're highly intelligent, of course. (laughs) Overthinking things. They overthink things. I mean, if, that's why I love the expression ignorance is bliss because it is because you, if you don't know, you don't care. <laughs> you don't care. Yeah, yeah. You don't care. So in any event, yeah. So I just started to like try to find ways that I could channel it. And I've only had like really three panic attacks, like true panic attacks where you feel like you're having a heart attack and dying. First one happened at 25. First one happened at 25. I was in a cab with my boss at the time and we were going out to dinner and we were stopped in traffic. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, you know, like I'm getting cold but hot at the same time. I'm like sweaty and my hands started to shake. And I was like, what? and then you feel like kind of a depersonalization, like you're out of your body. It's just a terrible feeling. And you do think you're having a heart attack and you're going to die. And what does anybody that at 25 do when that happens? I'm like, yeah, I'm out for dinner not oh my god there's something wrong with me I'm like you know what I'm not feeling well I think I need to go home I'm I'm not going to dinner and I went to my apartment and I down like five Jack Daniels and passed out oh my god yeah because I was freaked out I was like what the hell Did is going work? on oh yeah <laughs> and then oh yeah and then alcohol, though, for those next three years, did become a crutch for me. Okay. They're the only, it's the only thing that I could do to make myself go out and feel normal. The next morning, however, the anxiety would be tenfold. So I just eventually was like, yeah, I'm not drinking anymore. And I think that's helped anxiety, for sure. Do you drink at all no, anymore? never. No. Nope. Okay. Well, not nope. never, but... No, Never. I don't. Oh, no, no. I meant not never as in you never have. But oh, okay. So oh, you're not drinking anymore. <laughs> yes, oh, yes, yeah, yes. I, I track. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. So when was the second panic attack? Um, second panic attack was it, all the three of those were in the same year. Okay. My 25th year. Um, I think it was maybe like three months later. I was out to dinner with my friend. Everything was fine. Had a few drinks. Just out of the blue. No reason. And that is panic. And that's what's really freaking scary about it. Because you could think like, oh, I'm totally fine. And then just like that. You're not totally fine, though, because months of anxiety and stress have built up. It's fight or flight. Right. It comes out. Yeah. But now I've learned how to, if I do start to feel anxious like that, I know what it is. 
And I'm just like, okay, whatever. What do you do? What are like the mental uh, exercises? Distraction. Okay. Totally distraction. Like I'm afraid to fly, but okay. I travel a lot and I refuse not to travel. Like that's for me, like why, why? Right. You know, I could be eating Chinese in my apartment or I could be in Rome. <laughs> I think I'm going to go to Rome. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean, like it's like I'm not, I don't want to fly, but. I'll do like word searches. I listen to music a lot to distract myself. Okay. A lot. So things like that just to take your mind off of it. But I also try to help others because coming out of yourself gets rid of that anxiety because you're not so focused in on, oh my God, what am I talking about? Am I making a fool of myself? Is this person looking at me? Are they judging me? Am I being an idiot? Am I, you know, like it's like a hamster wheel of negativity that goes on in your mind. But at the end of the day, like I love that Bonnie Vare lyric, you know, I realize like I'm not that magnificent and you're not, right. You're just like, you're not. So just get over yourself. And then when you get over yourself, you get over the anxiety. But physiologically, it does happen. You can't stop that. No, yeah, you can't. Yeah. Those you are can. natural I reactions. Think, yeah, I think once you are, I think people that are prone to anxiety, and once they do have that anxiety, it's hard. You're just going to have to live with it for the rest of your life. And you could let it defeat you, or you could let it just be Rise part of your, of you. Yeah. I think uh, a lot of people um, have difficulty coming to that conclusion. It's, yeah. you know. Uh, and not everyone is willing to, let's say, give up alcohol or mm-hmm. give up their substance of crutch or, you know, whatever's mm-hmm. helping them get through their issues. Um, but being able to talk about it, you know, like the podcast, mm-hmm. is it, it lets other people who have the same issues um, go, oh, shit, there's another person, right? Yeah, you're. N- I hate that expression, but you're not alone. You're not. You're not. It's and, like, and being magnificent, right? One in a billion or one yeah. in whatever. It's you don't really want to be that because when you are that, your stress is like forever. No. It's like being Elon Musk and like Ugh. everyone either hates him or loves him. And the amount of things that uh, depend on him yep. waking up and it's doing too much. It's too much. But it's, I mean, it's for him. Some Yeah, that's it's right. Not some, for me. Pe- some people like that. Most people. Don't. No, I don't like that. Yeah. No. You don't need that. No. But I am like you in that I do, a lot of people will say to me, oh, I, you're not shy. Like, you're yeah. kind of introverted. And But I'm not. Inside. Outside, I could be, you know, throwing a rally and I'm a fundraiser and I'm going to all these events. And no. I mean, socially, I, I don't want to go out. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I would rather be at home reading a book. Like, I would gladly sit by the ocean alone for months on end just (laughs) reading with my music totally a loner but you do need to I think that um solitude can sometimes feed anxiety and you need to get out there you definitely do I could see how people that are depressed or have anxiety don't Mm -hmm. want to do that but I think it makes it worse I think part of uh you know being depressed or um, wanting to be alone is okay for a recuperation period. Yeah. But you have to be able to realize when the recuperation period is done and now you're just, you know, uh, well, what's the term? Uh, what? uh, basking in your... Glory. No, not... Uh, oh, wallowing in wallowing, your... Wallowing, yeah. 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 
Yeah. yeah. They're basking, wallowing. <laughs> yeah, totally different. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> what, where it's you're wallowing in your self pity. Right. And you have to realize, like, okay, like I I do need a little bit of help. I've tried to yeah. by myself kind of rejuvenate, and I'm not there. Let yeah. me reach out. Yeah, and sometimes you do need people to give you a swift kick in the ass. Yeah. You know, if if you're not able to do it yourself. When I stopped drinking, I vividly remember. Did you make that choice yourself? I made it. Not consciously that I, I didn't wake up and say to myself, I am never going to drink again. Never, ever, ever did I do that. Mm-hmm. I had a Christmas party. I woke up the next day. And I was talking to a friend that I worked with. And he was like, oh, you know, thanks so much for his girlfriend had left her wallet at my apartment. And apparently they came back to get it and I gave her the wallet and, and I didn't remember. And I was like, oh, God, you know, that's not good. Like, I'm not going to drink for a while. Plus, it's making me totally anxious. Like, in the, the next recovering from a night of drinking the next day for me was really tough because the anxiety would really kick in because I would be, like, feeling physically terrible. I never had a big tolerance for alcohol, but I thought that I did. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Yeah, I'm like, oh, Maker's Mark? Yeah, of course, I'll take 20 of those and <laughs> smoke a pack of cigarettes. Not a problem. Not a good idea. Um, but then you start to think to yourself, okay, I wasn't, and it's all about control too. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in control last night. What did I do last night? Who was I talking to? Oh my God, did I make an absolute jackass out of myself? And then that hamster wheel is going on and on and on. And so anyway, so after that party, I was like, I'm going to give this a break for a little while. And I never drank again. Wow. And that was in 2002. Wow. Yeah. But leading up to that, like I had started to drink a lot more. I think 9-11 happened and the anxiety there was not the best. Were you living in the city at the time? Yeah. Yep. Did you go out yeah. and try and help other people? So at the time, my the person I was dating lived in Alphabet City. And we both wanted to go out and help. But they were like, we do not want you here. Like, we have too many people here. You're like a liability. For me. For him, he, he went and did some ministry stuff. Wait, who told you you're a liability? A lot of the firefighters actually in really? the bars. Yeah. They were like, we don't need you to like. Interesting. Yeah, Would you call I, that sexist? I was probably, probably sexist, and I was probably, you know, a couple in, and they were like, we don't need you. Here's, here's a question. Yeah. When you hire a moving company, would you want women or men? Um, I mean, I never thought of it. I just want somebody to do the job right. Mm-hmm. And so I moved, we moved five times in two years. Okay. Yeah. Great and, person to ask that question <laughs> yeah, to then, right? Excellent. And a horrible <laughs> question because when we first moved down to Florida, my husband had hired this company that, I mean, our furniture was trashed when I got there. So I don't not like okay. a lot of these moving companies. But back to the gender thing, mm. I don't really care as long as you do the job. Mm. But those five times that we moved, I did all the packing, all of the just, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like manual labor. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. You wanted to help out. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wait, why'd you ask that? Uh, so I was just listening to a, a podcast and it was brought up that um, when you talk about different positions and you mm-hmm. talk about sexism in general, mm-hmm. uh, if I have a manually, uh, a 
very heavy labor job, like moving couches and moving big pieces of furniture that are very heavy. It's always men. I would prefer, whether it's a man or a woman, I want them to be able to lift it. Right. I want them to be able to move it. Yeah. It so happens that moving companies are mostly men and they might be big, brawly, strong guys. So if I happen to come across a company with a big, straw, strong, brawly woman, yeah. would I hire her? Yeah. yeah. But I wouldn't go out and be like, I want a woman to move my house. So when it comes to those firefighters, the reason why I asked you that is because uh-huh. maybe they look at you and they go, all right, well, will this woman be able to, and you're not, uh, not to downplay your physical stature or anything. You don't on. look like you can lift like tons of weight. What? <laughs> I'll have you know. <laughs> I can lift at least 12 pounds. So, so maybe they looked 15. at you and they were like, okay, we're glad you wanted to help out, but maybe we have to lift a car or something. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I mean, I think, yeah, and I think it was also um, a lot of the men at the time, how old was I? I don't remember. In my late 20s, they were kind of like, look, this is some serious shit. You do not want to be down there. You don't want to be breathing in this stuff. And I probably would have been a liability. Like, yeah. what the hell am I going to do? I think even me. I, yeah, I, I, and they didn't want I, him there either. I was a child at the time. <laughs> I was like, were you even born? No, I definitely was. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I was a child at the time. But yeah, even if I was me now, no. it might, there was thousands of, of yeah. policemen, firefighters, oh, yeah. construction and these guys, guys. They know what they're doing. They know what, exactly. They know they what, know touch, what, what they're doing. You're, it's very sensitive in that, first of all, it's a horrific situation to begin with. But it, for them, they lost people, yeah. a ton of people that do what they're doing. Mm-hmm. which is they want to you know, be there and they want to be there it's a brotherhood mm-hmm. a sisterhood whatever mm-hmm. it is but they yeah they were just like nah, get out yeah. of here and i often wonder like a lot of the times like those guys that we were having beers with those firefighters and also they were probably so sleep deprived you yeah, know they were working, working like crazy non-stop. shifts yeah. like but anyway i often wonder like whatever happened to them you know like are they alive you they know. could be. They could. They could not I know, be. I know that some of the, a lot of the first responders who were down there and breathing in those dust. Uh, yeah, died and, and of the cancer. Fumes, they did. Yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of them got cancer. I remember. I mean, looking, I lived on 92nd in York, so we were right on the East River. And watching, like, the plume of smoke just come up the river, it was crazy. And then going to Alphabet City and, like, sitting outside. And at the time, I smoked. And did we you were, walk there? I might have. I don't remember. I might have. I don't I know remember. All I know bridges walked, and tunnels closed down. They did at the time. I thankfully I worked on 74th and Madison, and so I just walked home. And I was on mm-hmm. 92nd in New York, which was not a big walk at all. Right. Um, 92nd to Alphabet City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, oh, it's awful. So we would we smoked at the time, and we'd be outside smoking because didn't want to smoke in the apartment. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Which now I'm like, oh my god, but the, it's horrible to say, but the air. It was it was horrible. It like, felt it was like a, a cigarette. very chemical like taste and smell in the air. And then you went outside for a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I, I took a drag. Yeah, was, but then which like, air was better, the cigarette or the outside? Yeah, but I and it, I would walk by NYU Hospital and it was heartbreaking. There'd be people outside like I'm looking for so and so. Oh man, awful, crazy though that. My dad worked in the Trade Center. He wasn't working then. Mm-hmm. For years, he was there for the bombing. My cousin was working in the Trade Center when that happened. I didn't know one person that passed away. 
Wow. But we were talking earlier about my friend that just so happened to be at the Bataclan in Paris at the Eagles of Death Metal concert Mm. and just so happened to be one of the, I mean, they're the only people that I knew in Paris and know in Paris. They just so happened to, or he just so happened to be one of the 89 that were killed. What are the odds of that? It's crazy. Yeah. I don't think the odds are as low as we think they are or hope that they are. Right. Lots of shootings have been going on. And for another time, we'll yes. come back to that. <laughs> yes. No. On a positive um, note. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would be some tips and uh, some advice you would leave to, let's say, a younger you? Right. It's a good question. So many good questions. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, I did some research, as you can see by my notes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, they're extensive we didn't even talk about notes. That stuff. <laughs> Um, I think, I think as I said earlier, like that lyric, you're not that magnificent to really just kind of set aside your ego, set aside all of that and find what innately makes you happy because unless you're happy, you're never going to make anybody else happy. And your own happiness, I think is the most important thing in life. I do. And if you want to be ready wait for it okay an active activist (laughs) get out there because it really will light a fire if you so choose it to i mean they're and they're living in new york city there's always something going on right just step in if you don't like it step out but at least you'll like gain some knowledge and there's a lot out there that you have no idea about. So I can't stand when people are like, I'm so bored. I'm like, no, come on. You're Crack boring. Book. Yeah, yeah. But I think our, our society now is kind of boring in that it's so focused in on you presenting yourself a certain way and living a certain lifestyle. And this is what you really should be doing according to society. But at the end of the day, that's all bullshit and smoke yeah. and mirrors. And yeah. it means it's so empty. But I think your generation and the generation behind you, unfortunately, that is what makes up your self-worth. And it's it's really sad. It's yeah. taken away this, like, humane element, I think. I I will agree with you. I think that we're part of the same generation, first of all. No. And, uh, <laughs> and, Not really. Uh, and second of all, uh, <laughs> and second of all, um, yeah, I mean, that's what social media is, right? It's throwing up your best face yeah. and, and saying to everyone, look how great my life is or look how successful I am mm-hmm. without showing any of the failure, without showing any of the difficulties that you have to work through mm-hmm. and saying like, yeah the, the um, powerful and successful life is easy. And then people try and go for it and they're like, well, shit, why can't I get it as fast as him? Right. Well, he didn't get it in a day. You're just seeing one picture of a day. You don't see the years before that of hard work. Yeah, and that you know 1% that you're seeing is not the general population. The general population doesn't look like a Kardashian. They also don't yeah. have hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on themselves, right. you know, and get butt and implants. I, I'm not, yeah, or and lip I, injections. Yeah, which I kind of would love to do. But anyway, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm all for that kind of thing. Whatever makes you happy, and you know, sometimes that will fill someone's self worth. If you, you know, and I think it's true. Like if you look good or if you think you look good you, you feel, feel good. good yeah for sure you know i think that's important that you should get dressed in the morning and all that but um 
Yeah, but people's lives are not in reality like that. I mean, there's a reason why these companies have created filters. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Nobody has that kind of skin. Nobody has that, as you pointed out, the buttocks. Yeah. It's like enormous. <laughs> That's not natural. Uh, by the way, it's I don't think it looks good either. Uh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't. There's like cellulite and whatnot. On that. It's just, really? I mean, like, I it's think not men, natural. It's not. I don't know. I talked to different guys and some guys are like all about that. They don't care where it came from. All about like the hair extensions and the okay. it fake and fake and fake. Innate, ancestral. It makes you think that this woman, right, mm-hmm. is curvaceous. Okay, she can bear children. Long hair, she yes. must be healthy. Yes, right? yes, yes. Fair skin, so like true. she's young. And, right, yes. absolutely. So you are innately attracted to that i get yes. it but then it gets it's blown a primal thing it gets blown up in our society and in, in our culture of well check it out i'm even wider or my skin is even better yeah. or whatever it might it's be it's crazy yeah it's and for me i don't know i'm like the type of person that's like oh my god you have a scar you're so hot like i can't <laughs> stand that like cookie cutter right too perfect I don't know. Too sh- yeah 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 and a lot of the people that i've talked to in my life are I've met a lot of celebrities and models and they're all really good looking people. But if there's no substance behind it, they very quickly for me become unattractive. Mm -hmm. And yet there'll be somebody in the room that conventionally will not be good looking, but there's something about that person that makes them infinitely more attractive than the, the model. Yeah. Tips for the guys out there. Be yourself. That's right. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other um, plugs that you'd like to give? Maybe uh, do you have an upcoming protest uh, that you're organizing? Someone could go and I, join. I don't, but I think okay. I need to. This is like sparked a renewed interest in finding something. Cool, we were cool. talking about that new pipeline in Louisiana. Maybe yeah. I'll go down there. Yeah, my Nicaragua trip. You know was what? Canceled, I actually so. have um, some information Anything on going that. on. I just went to the Pride Parade, which was so amazing. Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh, I thought it was so it, fabulous. Yeah, it really was <laughs> magnificent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like just to see how society has changed in my lifetime. Really, is amazing. It, it's it, like makes me want to cry. It really does. It's so like the it, the acceptance is there now and. Like we were talking to, I went with um, a friend of mine that's gay, and then we met up with another friend of mine that I work with who's also gay, Mm -hmm. man and woman, and she's 25, he's 40, and just talking about how much has changed, like her generation, I mean, I think has seen a little bit of it, but it's so much more acceptable now. It's crazy. And it's so great. I love it. I grew up Catholic, so... I don't know. I mean, not to call out your parents or anything, but are they or were they accepting of uh, gays? I would. I think my parents are kind of liberal in that way. Definitely, my dad is okay. Liberal, yeah. But again, I mean, they are Catholic, and the Catholic Church condemned homosexuality. It's it's not Catholic anymore. uh, Oh, very interesting. Are you uh, atheist, agnostic? Um, again, like the Native American thing, I really okay, believe spiritual. in spiritual. So I brought my tarot cards to read. Real. Cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're gonna do that once this is over. Uh, yeah, no, I believe that um, 
it's funny i've been talking a lot about this lately and mm-hmm. exploring the paranormal psychic cool things um I, i'm is going there... to be buying a book soon because oh, I, yeah? I have such a a habit of buying too many books and not reading them all. Oh my God. So there's a book that's on my Amazon standby list. What? I'll share it with you after. It's oh, like cool. a spiritual book and like oh, paranormal good. and yeah. Yeah, I'm like all into that now yeah. and shamanism. Yeah, shaman. Oh, I got like five books on hold. Yeah, yeah. I know. Absolutely. Have you read Ways of the Shaman? No, I have not. <gasps> really good. Okay. okay. Anyway, after yeah. the podcast. Oh yeah, now <laughs> I got crystals along my windowsill. Oh man. Anyway. Yeah. So spiritual for sure. Okay. Yeah. And I definitely believe in nature and the power of that as a spirit yeah uh so really oh, i was talking about afterlife no going but anyway it's okay the so dapple connects to the energy transfer crude oil pipeline okay mm-hmm. and that ends in texas that's one that goes through louisiana or no um, it doesn't that's not even close to louisiana excuse my no, geography that's but, okay but that one that pipeline uh did have a much bigger spill in the thousands so there are pipelines that are spilling all over the place and it, it, yeah there's room to be active. Yep. There's room to be active. Yeah, I think that you're right. I'm going to be now up all night looking this up. <laughs> I'm like planning on another rally. Um, do you want anyone to have a way to reach out to you? Uh, oh, sh- what, what would be like a plug for yourself? Sure. I mean, anyone that's interested in anything that we talked about or was interested in throwing some kind of rally, I'm totally down for that. <laughs> they could just email me. What's, your, me. It's what's your email? Jennifer. Again? A as an apple and my last name's Cherney C H E R N E Y at Gmail. Cool. Dot com. Dot com. Oh come on. Who is this a dot com <laughs> kids? All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining me for oh, another thank you. episode. Um Oh, that was actually my pitch out. But you know what? Thank you, Jennifer, for <laughs> joining me. Because I should have done that first. Excuse me. Excuse me. Thank you so much for joining me. You're I really more appreciate than welcome. it. Thank you. And to everyone else, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Disconnection Podcast, where we aim to inform, inspire, and close the disconnections in your life. You can listen to us on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Facebook, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Disconnection.